Hey everyone, welcome to the Music Education and Technology Podcast. This podcast is meant to be a resource for musicians and music educators, and we want to discuss how technology can be used to influence music education. My name is Chris Russell. I'm a blogger at techandmusiced.com, and I'm a middle school music teacher where I teach grades six through eight, and technology is a part of my daily life. And my co-host is... Hi, everyone. I am. My name is Paul Shimmons. I am a teacher in Michigan. I teach band five uh, grades five through twelve, and I have a blog over at iPadMusiced.wordpress.net, and love integrating technology into my teaching and into my kids' music creation and exploration. Um, try to do that as much as possible. So yes, it's exciting to be doing this podcast, and I look forward to doing more. And actually, a little bit of history behind the podcast, I asked Paul if he'd be interested in doing it, mainly because I listen to a lot of podcasts, particularly as I drive. And uh, typically that's sports podcasts like PTI uh, or Around the Horn. But recently, on another interest of mine, the ukulele, that I've, I've picked up and have started teaching in my classes, there's a website called the ukulele site where they sell high-end and high-quality ukuleles. They offer all kinds of resources, and they started a weekly podcast. And in truth, after hearing their podcast, they thought, heck, we could do that for music education because nobody's out there that's doing it. So I'm very thankful for Paul for joining us with that. It's a great idea. There's uh, so many ideas to share, so many thoughts tossed around, and um, it's going to be interesting to see what we can find. So we have a few questions or topics that we're going to cover every week, and then we're going to, well, not, I'm not sure it's going to be every week. It's whenever we get a chance to do this. And in our busy lives as music educators, you know how often we have an hour to sit down and record a Skype conversation. But the idea is we have several topics we're going to cover uh, whenever we have a podcast, and then we're hoping that we can have an interview with an outside source in every podcast. Our first topic that I had hoped we'd be able to interview them directly is the Fourscore app. I know I've used since it came out, the iPad came out in 2010, and Paul, I don't know how long you've used it. I've used it since it came out as well. You know, that's one of the reasons that I bought an iPad on day one of release was to use it for my music. And and that app came out within days of the original release of the iPad, and it has just continued to improve over time. And that doesn't mean that there aren't other options in that category of PDF music readers and things, but it certainly is one of my top five apps that I use and that I recommend towards others. And I'm always surprised at how many music teachers are out there that aren't even aware that Fourscore or Unreal Book or some of those other apps like that, that they don't even exist. Um, I always have discussions that some of these music teachers are actually using just a normal PDF app um, on their iPad and instead they should be using something like Fourscore that's actually created by musicians for musicians, you know, for live for live music playing and, and study. Yeah, and I think that's important to define too, because what makes a PDF music reader different? One example for me is that you can bind audio files in it. So that's different for me as a choir person versus Paul as a band person, but I can actually prepare audio files to play off of my iPad in class while I'm looking at the music, which means that I don't necessarily have to be at the piano pounding notes, or I can even set it up so the kids could take it in sectionals. At least I used to be able to do that when I taught high school um, in the past. Uh, Other things are like uh, the hot links where you can jump back in your music with a touch of your button instead of turning pages. Paul, what are a few more things that you use it for? I have notes written all over my 
music um, with my iPad Pro. And so having that iPad Pro with the pencil now is just amazing. Um, of course, you can do it on a normal iPad too with just your finger. But um, being able to set up set lists, you know, every time I go into a different class, I don't have this whole entire long list of songs I'm looking at, trying to read through and find just that right song for fifth grade band. I can pull up the songs we're working on in fifth grade band. You go to sixth grade band, there's that set list for those kids like that. Um, and just that musical organization of things within floor score and being able to um, sort things out quickly like that. And having that, there's a metronome right there too. You know, I'm standing, I'm, actually I'm sitting here in band camp right now. And um, so we're heavy into rehearsal and marching season and such. I don't have to go digging for another app. Where's my metronome at? It's right there at the top of the page. And not only is there a metronome, but there's also a tuner right there now, too. Yeah, there is. And that's one of the things that I found. I've actually presented an entire hour of session on Fourscore at NAFME last year, and there are so many features in Unreal Book and Fourscore that go so deep that people just have no idea that are there. So not only do people not even know about the app, people that own the app don't even know all the stuff that's there. So it's, it's an incredibly rich app, and, and we'll be talking to their developers later in this podcast. Yay. So we'll switch to the next topic, which is um, what are we working on right now? So this we both Paul and I are real teachers. Paul teaches some elementary, and he teaches um, high school and secondary band. And my focus has mainly been secondary choral um, for the most part, along with some music theory and some music appreciation, guitar and ukulele. So we cover kind of a good basis of uh, knowledge between us. So the, the first question we want to ask in our podcast is, what are you working on with technology right now? And Paul, I'll ask you, what's, what's in your project house right now? This is what I'm working on. You know, like I mentioned, I'm sitting here at Marching Band Camp, and so one of the apps that I'm heavy into using right now is this app called Drillbook Next. And I've taken all my drill that I've designed on my computer, and it, Pyware uh, 3D is what a lot of the band directors use for that. And I can export it right into this Drillbook Next app, and it shows me all the drill on my iPad. I don't have to carry it on my computer. I can see animated on my iPad. I can tap a, um, a, stu a student that's out there, you know, those X's and O's. Um, they look like little blocks in this drill book next. If I tap it, it tells me their name. I don't have to go searching and trying to remember what that X number 18, you know, that cryptic sync, um, symbol was or who they were. Um, so using that app for marching band right now is a huge lifesaver. I, I myself have been getting ukulele stuff ready, and I've been blogging a lot about this, but um, I kind of teach in a school that's kind of tough sometimes. Uh, our kids in grades 6 or 8 have to take band, choir, orchestra, and basically if they're not an instrumentalist, they're in choir, which means that I get all the kids that don't want to be there in addition to those that do. And that can make classes really tough with discipline and other things. And traditional choir was not cutting it. So I incorporated some ukulele last year, and this year I'm doubling down on that. And as a result, I've been getting music ready for our holiday concert. And the other little catch is that sacred music is becoming less and less tolerated in our society. And as a result, I've had to try to find all music that can be played on ukulele 
that isn't sacred but holiday themed and that's been kind of a challenge so basically this whole summer i've been doing ukulele arrangements of my own um, using the app notion and that's kind of what i've been doing with most of my time as well as just testing other things that happen to come across my desk uh, for the website and things like that hey chris i've got a question for you too since you're creating your own arrangements and stuff with your ipad right yep Actually, um, I can do some of that, but I find most of the work I'm doing on my MacBook only because the iPad version of Notion doesn't let you actually put in the ukulele fretboards. And what I'm trying to do is to avoid repeats, and I'm trying to have the fretboards in line as the kids read the music, which is kind of different than some of the, the ukulele fake books. And um, so I've been using my, my MacBook more than my iPad for that. Okay, okay. So that iPad app is pretty well developed, but it is still lacking some of the things the desktop version has. Yeah, Notion does probably 85% of what the desktop version does, but what's really cool is when you put those ukulele fretboards into Notion, which, by the way, I found out is a nightmare to do in Finale. So, it, it, you know, every program has its own positives and negatives. Like, for example, Notion is really bad when it comes to lyrics. It's just not a fun experience. But... Yeah. Um, but when you come to fretboards, it's easy to do a Notion on the PC or on the Mac. And then when you open it up on the iPad, they appear. So the iPad will show you everything that the desktop version does, but it can't do everything the desktop version does. Perfect. Yep. All right. That's why. That's what I was hoping. Because um, I find sometimes, like you said, sometimes I can use my iPad for creating things, and then other times I find it's just as easy or easier to use the laptop. No, you're 100% correct. And that leads us to, I think, a really good topic, which is our second major topic, which is what's the recent news? What's going on in the world of music education and technology? And in truth, there's going to be large periods of time where nothing happens. And in fact, this time of year is often very quiet because the fall releases of iOS and macOS are coming in the fall. So developers right now are scrambling just to try to get their existing products so that they can run on the next version of iOS. Um, but there are a couple of big pieces of news that came out recently, and one is the uh, release just yesterday from where Paul and I are talking of Finale 25, the latest version of Finale. And Paul, I don't know, you, you're more of a Sibelius user, but do you have Finale as well? I have used Finale since the day that it came out, way back when you had to have like four different manuals sitting on your desk just to be able to sort through and remember how to do everything. Um, and then, like you said, I've, I switched over to uh, Sibelius, but I do have to admit that last time I upgraded my Mac, Sibelius would no longer work. So I am not a Sibelius user right now. Um, I'm, I'm, on, I'm, I'm using Notion. And just a side note, too, Finale stopped working on some older versions of Mac OS, and they chose not to upgrade it, which I don't hold against them, but it does irritate you if, if your Finale stops working just because you upgrade your computer to the latest OS. Um, and that's something, you know, that's, we're, we're going to be looking at tips, but while we're talking about this, we've got to mention that, especially if, if you have a performance coming up, like right in the future, man, you better be careful about updating um, or running a beta program, or like the beta, joining the public betas for Apple right now, there's some apps that will not work. So you got to be aware of what's not going to work if you update your laptop, your iPad, or whatever. 
he can find yourself in trouble. That's, for example, that's why back to Fourscore again. I've told people for a long time they should consider both buying Fourscore and Unreal Book, even though they're very similar in function. Because if one ever stops working, the other one probably will still work for you. So that's really good. Finale Twenty Five. What I wanted to add is that um, basically it's a whole new program from the ground up, even though it operates exactly the same way that it did. So Finale has shifted from 32-bit architecture in their programming to 62-bit architecture, which means that the program is slightly faster, it's a little more stable, and um, there's a few other benefits. Like for the first time, Finale users can actually see a transpose note but hear the concert pitch, which is something that has been possible in Finale before. Um, but in general, if you have Finale, you're going to open up and say, what's the big deal? But the truth is it's all under the hood. Now, the one exception to that is my my one Windows computer that I own is an Asus T100 that's a 32-bit computer, and it cannot run Finale 25. And ironically, my Asus is actually newer than my MacBook that still can run Finale 25. So it's kind of a funny world we live in, but hey, that's the big news is Finale 25 coming out just yesterday. And then Paul, and what's the upgrade price for that? Oh, the upgrade price right now, I think, is if you have an existing copy of Finale, it's one forty nine ninety five. So basically, one hundred and fifty bucks. And that is not a subscription either. Nope, not like Sibelius. And Paul, you can speak to that because I, I am just not a, never been a Sibelius guy. Yeah, I, I don't know. This might be a personal. It is a personal thing. You know? But that's okay. So, that's what we do. We're we're about personal opinions. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's the same thing with Apple Music and Spotify and like the Sibelius, where they have the subscription. I have never liked that subscription. I've never liked giving Apple ten dollars a month and then being able to use my music for one month. But then if I decide to stop, I can't use it anymore. And um, so that was another reason I stopped using Sibelius. I did not want to do the subscription. So, I don't know. It's an interesting world. And I understand the developers have to find a way to constantly be able to make a living. But I'd rather buy the program and be able to continue to use it forever. Now, speaking about buying a program, and just kind of transitioning there, um, the other big news is something that's coming soon this fall, which is the brand new program by the former developers of Sibelius, Dorico. And I don't know, uh, Paul, you're going to be on the beta list, so you can't, down the road when that comes out, um, you won't be able to talk about it. But uh, share with us your thoughts about Dorico so far that you've seen. Those guys that are developing Dorico were for, former Sibelius developers, and then they changed things, got bought, purchased, people change jobs, whatever. Um, so the people that are doing Dorico are not new to the scene at all. And they've been taking a couple of years. And they are really digging in and they are really making sure that they get the background or the backbone to this program um, well developed and that when it finally does come out, that what you see is going to just be, I think it's going to be looking beautiful. And um, hopefully it comes with the same ease of use as what um, Sibelius had and maybe even easier. And maybe, who knows, they're going to come up with some new ideas that we've not even thought of yet. I just think it's such a brave thing to come up with another music program in a world where we live where there's MuseScore. A couple years yep. ago, um, I was asked to go down and speak to the music education program at Luther College in Decorah, Iowa. 
and they had a music education Saturday where a few different chapters of music education groups came in at the collegiate level. And I asked the question, how many of you are using Finale? And not a one was using it. And how many of you are using Sibelius? Not a one. They hadn't even heard of Notion. So they were all, for their work in the college level, using MuseScore. And that makes me concerned about the future sustainability of now four major paid programs. And I don't even know if I count Notion as a major program because it just isn't priced the same, even though I use it a lot. Uh, so is is the market going to be able to sustain Dorico and Sibelius and Finale and Notion with the existence of a beast like MuseScore? And I just... I just don't know, and we're going to have to wait to see what happens. Well, and here's the other thought process on that, too. You're talking about these guys were all at the collegiate level. What is their reason for not using Finale and Sibelius and instead using MuseScore? Because I know in my um, at my school, I'm looking at my students, and I want them to do music notation things. Well, they're not going to be buying Finale and Sibelius. They're going to be using other things like MuseScore or NoteFlight, or the flat.io because it's, I mean, for $2 a year, my students can have access to no flight compared and, to buying Finale. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and NoteFlight has really come along and they've added a bunch of features this summer, including um, the live recording, right? Where you can actually play into it. Right. Yeah, exactly. So now I can give my kids um, a playing test. They can see the music there. And they can play into no flight, and we're talking about $2 a year. And if you haven't seen Flat.io, that's also worth looking at. Uh, Flat.io is a very basic composition program that they keep adding to. And uh, I used to question how Flat.io was going to make it when you had NoteFlight. But NoteFlight is now part of Hal Leonard. They're actually owned by Hal Leonard. And they are expanding their offerings to offering literature now for $5 per student per year. In addition to the two you've already paid, you have access to um, X number of scores in band, choir, or orchestra for your kids. So you can actually do music right off of the, the device. Um, and they're expanding into recording audio, which may eventually turn into assessment. So NoteFlight is actually looking quite a bit larger, where Flat.io is really snuggled in nicely with Google and embedding in Google Classroom. They promise that eventually they'll be able to embed a flat composition in Google Docs. And it's kind of an exciting future there too. So Paul, thank you for bringing up those two. That's that's something I was yep. missing. And I've got I've to bring this up. Flat is, um, you know, the developers for Flat, are, they respond really well to the people that are using it. And one of the questions that I keep having for them is, um, it is a little bit difficult to use flat, like for my students, if they are only using a, a, um, a smartphone. Um, but that's something that flat is working on, and there's an update coming out soon for that. So um, look forward to that update coming. And once that one little update comes that allows students to change notes really easy on a smartphone, flat's going to be right up there with note flight, I think. Yeah, and it, it actually is a little easier to use the NoteFlight when it's working, you know, like if you're using a Chromebook or something. It's just yeah. it's just a little bit more user-friendly, and that's not picking on NoteFlight at all. It's just It just is. So elementary teachers in particular, when I show them the two, tend to lean towards flat because it's just a little bit easier to, to put your mind around. 
And that's one of the things we were talking to are about a little bit earlier too, is what am I working on right now as far as music technology is concerned is trying to wrap my hand around all these updates that have come out because NoteFlight has just changed their backbone in the way that their app runs too. And so trying to figure out what do I want to use as a teacher this upcoming school year is kind of mind boggling at times. <laughs> and, you know, speaking of backbone, one of the things that's behind a lot of the problems is that Flash is finally dead. Um, yeah, they, it they, is. they finally kind of said, you know what, this isn't the way it's going to be. And what's funny is six or seven years ago, they were making fun of Steve Jobs for his stance on Flash. And, <laughs> and once again, he was right. Um, it's really crazy to watch some of his videos from the 1980s when he talks about computing. It's It's stunning to see how brilliant he was it's almost like he had a time machine uh to see into right. the future um his discussion of what the internet would become and what computing would be and telecommunications was like spot on very scary now it doesn't mean he was a good guy <laughs> but uh <laughs> he, you know you know he was spot on yeah he really did have that uh, yeah like you said i don't know time machine but he really had a good sense of what he at least hoped was going to be able to be possible of for us in the future and we're starting to see some of those fruits come out so how about um talking about fruits of technology paul um every every one of these podcasts we're gonna have a tip for our users and i asked you to have a tip ready for today or we just talked about it roughly before we started the podcast and what was you had a great tip for people you want to share what that tip was Oh, yeah, I'd love to. Um, you know, as teachers, we get to talk to students and other teachers and parents and friends and stuff. And, and like my family, like my father-in-law, mother-in-law, you know, trying to figure out how to use their technology. And one of the, my own kids, actually, you know, I've got six kids and my own kids deal with this. Um, you need to have your passwords and usernames written down and backed up. And you need to be able to find that really easy. Um, that way you don't try to sign into an account and all of a sudden you go, oh, what was that? My son has like three different Gmails accounts because he kept forgetting his username and password. And then finally I sat down with him and I said, why do you have so many of these? He's like, oh, because I forget. I'm like, here, let me show you how to write down your username and password. <laughs> I can't believe you have six kids, Paul. I just heard that. I didn't even realize that. We've been chatting back and forth, and I didn't know you had six kids. Yep, yep. I have, um, I have two, two of my daughters are in high school right now, and I have four boys that have graduated high school and out in college and in the workforce. So, yeah, I've, got a, a, I've got a 16-year-old stepson, an 8-year-old son, and a 4-year-old. So I've, I've only got half the, the worries that you have, I guess, on a daily basis. It's, it's well worth it. It's well worth it. Well, that's a great tip. And I myself, I keep track of my passwords in notes on my iPhone now because it syncs on iCloud to all my devices. And that's a really good way. I know there are a couple apps you can buy where you can just jot down passwords. I'd be cautious about writing it down on your on a, like a Post-it note and sticky on your screen because that takes away all the, uh, the security of that password. It does. And... Of course, at the same time, let's be realistic, okay? Like my father-in-law, does he really need to worry about the fact that his password's sitting on a sticky note by his phone? You know, what does he have on his iPad? He might be using his email and his Facebook every now and then. So 
myself, yeah, I don't want to write my, my, my password down because I got students walking around all the time and they'd love to hack my accounts. So, you know, for some people, I like what you said about iCloud too, because that takes away some of the responsibility on, on our part. And I trust Apple enough now where I would put all my notes in, in notes or all my passwords and usernames in notes and put it into one of those secured lock notes. And then I don't have to worry about, oh, my phone just dropped into the water and it's toast. I've lost all my passwords. You go get a new phone, sign into your iCloud account. There's everything right there where it was. So that's that's our tip for you today is just simply make sure you write down your passwords somewhere so you can find them again. And if you're like me, there are like 80 or 90 different things that you have to have a password for these days. And it's just good not to use the same password everywhere and then to have that written down. Yep. Another thing we wanted to share was a um, this amazed other moment because both Paul and I work with other teachers and um, other music educators and there's occasionally things that we show other people that just amazes them. And the number one, more than any other that I can think of, is uh, the, pro the company is called Neuratron, and they are the people that make the scanning software for Sibelius. They're not owned by Avid, which owns Sibelius, but they are um, their own company, and they have a program called Photoscore that runs on a Mac or PC, but they also make a program called Notate Me for the iPhone or iPad or Android devices, and that's a $40 app, which is very expensive, but if you pay another $30, your phone then can actually take pictures and scan music, which you can then export out of Notate Me into Finale or into Sibelius or into um, MuseScore or into Notion. And the, the reason why this is actually so pressing right now is Finale just removes scanning as a result of outcries from composers and arrangers that didn't want their stuff rearranged um, or to lose the income from theft of music. Now, granted, scanning technology has been out for a long time, but this is the first time that Finale really was going to offer you the ability to just scan a PDF and turn it into um, written music. And that kind of caused people to freak out and make music reacted by taking it out of Finale. They're going to add it back into Smart Music later because uh, Smart Music kind of has a different function than Finale. But anyway, if you want to scan something, try this app. There's a free version that lets you scan one part at a time called Notate Me Now with Photoscore Now. And you can see how one part at a time works, but if you want to scan more than one part at a time, Photoscore on Notate Me is the way to go. I know, Paul, you've done some stuff even with recreating band arrangements with that. I have, and that's one of the, uh, you know, this amazed other moments for me, too, is I, I'm constantly surprised how many people don't even know that um, Notate Me is out there. And um, I'm glad you mentioned the free version because um, if you only need to, uh, you know, if, if I've got a student and they want to be able to listen to that sheet of music that I just gave them, they can take a picture of that sheet of music and then within minutes it's already scanned into their phone. Notate Me recognizes the notes and it can play it back for them. If you want to do more with it, like Chris said, put it into another um, music notation program and edit it, arrange it, whatever you need to do. Um, 
And what'd you say, Chris? The, oh, yeah, the full version was $40. Yeah. Yep, $40 and a $30 in-app purchase for that photo score capability. But think about it. If you buy the full version of photo score, it's a $250 purchase. Plus, you need a scanner. Plus, you need a computer. For $70, you can have nearly the accuracy of your of your actual scanner and computer, if not better sometimes, just with your phone. The only catch is you got to have paper music in front of you to scan it. It won't recognize the PDF. So that's the only caveat. So you sometimes you have to, you have to print something out to scan it back. Yep. Yep. And I think that's one of the reasons that people were freaking out with, with uh, Finale and Finale having the ability to recognize a PDF. You have to have purchased the sheet music and have it sitting in front of you. And I think that's why Note Flight is able to still or uh, I'm sorry, notate me now, you know, that's why nobody has massacred them yet for having this ability in this app. And like Chris said, it's, it, you know, for people that are app buyers, that's kind of expensive. But when you really look at what this app can do, if you're a music teacher, a music student, or you just like making music, the price of this is nothing. On my phone, I can do what I used to have to have a computer and, and a scanner for. And it's on my phone. It's great. And if you're if you're staying in an all iPad environment, you, even though the iPad's camera is not as good as, as the phone, and, and just a couple tips. Number one, as I found, is if you take a picture of music, make sure there's a white background. So put a couple pieces of blank paper behind it when you scan. You want to make sure you have good lighting and sometimes even use the flash on your phone. But then um, you also want to make sure you have the best camera possible. So usually that means your phone. But if you want to, you could actually stay in your entire iPad environment, scanning with MuseScore and then exporting into Notion all on your iPad, being able to edit there. Now, Notate Me does have the ability to edit, but it's handwriting-based software, which is kind of cool. It's kind of fun to play with, but it's ultimately not that practical when you're talking about a larger score. So for mass editing, I like to go to Notion or to my comfort zone, which is Finale, to fix up things that I've scanned in. And there's always going to be scanning errors. Um, if you're a percussion player, there's no way that your part is ever going to scan in right because every publisher has their own definition of that percussion map. So, And then every music program has its own definition of that percussion map. So if you're a percussion player, you're going to have to enter your, your part yourself. Or if you're a band director recreating um, a master score instead of looking at a condensed score, you're going to have to recreate percussion from scratch. But I think that's doable versus doing all 26 parts for your band. Yep. And I have to do percussion parts all the time. And I don't care if I'm working with Finale, Sibelius, or whatever. It's just always been a pain. And um, so, actually, Notion on my iPad makes it a little bit easier, but that's another, another discussion for another day. You know, and Chris, it's something we haven't talked about is why does somebody want to use Finale Note, um, or Sibelius or NoteFlight or Notion? And um, I can think of one thing that we need to highlight here is if you're using an iPad, <laughs> there are two main music notation apps that are pretty pretty much fully functional um, on an iPad. And you've got uh, Notion, which is made by Personas now, or uh, it's uh, kind of underneath their umbrella. And then you've got Symphony um, Pro, which actually I just got an email. They've just released a major update to Symphony um, for the um, iPhone and iPad. So, you know, you can use NoteFlight on your iPad. 
um, but it's part of the web browser, right? Um, it is. NoteFlight is part of the web browser, but in talking with uh, some folks from NoteFlight, there's a desire or a goal to eventually have an iPad app as well, because quite frankly, just there's certain things that work better as native apps on the iPad. And what about Flat? I think they're trying to do an app too, right? Flat has said that they're also kind of focusing on trying to have an iPad app eventually as well. Yep. Yep. So maybe we're going to end up having four really nice music notation apps for your iPad. Yep. And if you've got Chromebooks oh. right now, just, just to add, NoteFlight and Flat are both apps you can look at. And we'll, we'll do Chromebooks as another topic on another day. But I also recently found a neat new little product made by CME that's called the WittyBud. And it's a little USB dongle that you plug into your computer. You can plug that into a Chromebook and it will make your Chromebook into a Bluetooth MIDI device. So that then if you have a Bluetooth MIDI keyboard, you can connect wirelessly from your Bluetooth MIDI keyboard to your Chromebook and use apps like uh, NoteFlight or Flat.io. Yep. That Bluetooth um, MIDI technology we have to talk about in our next podcast, by the way. Okay. That's we can, huge. That's we, nice. We can certainly do that. I've been spending a lot of the summer reviewing some other products that are out there. So I'm certainly up on my uh, vocabulary of Bluetooth low energy MIDI for right yep. now. So that, um, just one final thing about Notion or Notate Me and Photoscore is when when I demonstrate that at a, at a convention or I show other teachers how that works, it's an app where people actually get angry because it's so easy to do. And they think about the frustration of trying to scan with Finale or Sibelius in the past and the errors and the, the struggles, and they see how easy it is and they're blown away. So that really was my amazing others moment. And I don't know if there's anything else I'll ever do that will top people's reaction to that app. Yeah, yeah, and I absolutely agree with that. At the Michigan Music Conference last year, I was showing off the Photoscore plugin within um, Notate Me Now, or within Notate Me, and the teachers just kind of put their hand on their forehead and they went, I can't believe this is a possible or a possibility. And as teachers, like I said, this is such important technology because it makes our life so much easier. And they, I had four or five people right there on the spot, put down or put in their credit cards, and they paid the seventy dollars um, for the plugin and for the no take me now app, and um, they were doing it. I mean, within minutes, they were scanning stuff and putting it into their iPads and phones. And, and it's remarkably accurate. It's it's remarkably, and it's often just as accurate, if not more, as actually using the desktop app, which also is is just blows your mind. And Paul, I was going to say, I think you're the same as I am. Um, I have a iTunes affiliate link with my blog where if people buy an app through a link that I offer, I get a 7% uh, basically payment from the price of that app that doesn't come from the developer. It comes from Apple's share, that 30% that Apple gets out of every app sale. Um, yep. Some of that is designated towards other things. And most of the time, I recommend apps to people, and they're not using my link. And I just think about particularly with that app, uh, even at the $40 level, how much money I would have earned had I asked people to use a, a referral link to that app. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> and we all know Apple can spare that much money for 
you know, for people that are doing blogs and, and sharing these ideas to people. And I love the fact that it does not come out of the, of the developer's part of the um, cost of the app. Right. So if you have a favorite blog, whether it's Paul's blog, my blog, maybe Amy, Amy Burns' blog, whoever it is, and if they're using referral links, please use the referral links. It will it just sends somebody back because I, most of us aren't doing our work for profit anyway. We'll have a spot in a future podcast where where listeners can ask us questions about things that they'd like to know more about. It could be a how-to, although sometimes that gets specific and needs a video. Um, it could just be opinions. And, and both Paul and I will warn you, we both have opinions about things. Um, you know, I, I'm famous for picking up a piece of technology and being able to kind of s- summarize how I feel about it within about five to ten minutes. Even if I don't know every aspect of the technology, I can see where it's going pretty quickly. Um, there may be times that our opinions or our thoughts don't agree with yours, and we're not doing that to make anybody mad. Um, I know I go out to great lengths to try to not criticize programs on my blog anymore. In fact, I've got a great story about that with uh, the maker of Unreal Book. Early on, I was very critical about his app, and he emailed me privately and said, that really hurts um, because I'm just a guy trying to make a good app, but I'm going to try to learn from that. And I learned at that point that there was a face behind the app, and ever since that time, I've tried to to not just be hurtful. And and I wasn't trying to be hurtful at that point. I was just laying out an opinion. So I've been trying to be very, very considerate of feelings. And if there's something I'm not really impressed by, I try to say so in as kind of words as I possibly can. Yeah. And Chris, you know, I think you mentioned that fact uh, of Aaron, the developer there. You know, the people, these, um, the, the developers of these apps that we're using, a lot of them are not these huge corporations where they're like this unapproachable person. If you get in contact with technical support, and sometimes that's just one person, you know, it's just the one developer, the person who made the, the app. These guys listen to you. They want to hear your input. They want to hear your feedback. They want to hear how you're using their apps. And um, so I think that's an important thing to highlight here. Reach out and contact these people and talk to them about your ideas and thoughts and frustrations. Yeah, I have always been surprised by the number of people that say, ah, I can't email them. They don't want to hear from me or whatever. And the truth is that they do. And I know for a fact I can probably track 100 apps that an email that I have sent has steered the development of that app one way or another, um, usually for good, thankfully. But um, I I know for a fact, and it's not because I have a blog. It's not because I speak out publicly. It's because I actually take the time to contact a developer and let them know what's good and let them know what's kind of lacking or where I would like to see things. And that doesn't mean Fourscore is a perfect example because we're going to get a chance to talk to them um, in the second half of this podcast. Um, I, I'll send ideas to Fourscore, and actually all my ideas are gone at this point. Um, they're, they're gone. They're doing things that I had never considered. But early on when I'd send them, they'd send back an email occasionally and say, well, um, we're not going to do that. We just, you know, we don't see it going that way. Or they'd say, well, that might be something we do in the future. So they don't always jump to your beck and call either, but they, they want your feedback, and uh, it's good to be able to send it. And I tell people everywhere, just Take the time to email the developer. You might be surprised what happens. And they don't always think of ways to use some of these apps. I know um, another app I'm using here at Bandcamp is AnyTune Pro. And when I contacted the developers and told them my ideas and the ways that I want to use it with my marching band, they're like, we would never have thought of that. So reach out and talk to them. 
By the way, Paul, did you know that the new version of Fourscore kind of has an AnyTune uh, functionality built into it? I, I'm excited to talk with the developers about some of those things. I did know that. It's great. Yeah, that's it's it's mind blowing the things that they're they're still adding to the program. So, um, the final thing before we switch into our second half of our podcast here would just to be let people know that if you're a music education company and you'd be interested in sponsoring the podcast, we would certainly be open to um, talking with you about that. I know Paul and I will be contacting some of the developers that we'd like to talk to, but if you're a company that would like to be interviewed. Hey, send us an email and we'll get back to you. And we should probably say that uh, we do have an email address. It's metpodcast at gmail.com. And both Paul and I have access to that email address. And the Met does not mean the Met as in New York City, but music education technology. But they wouldn't let me use the ampersand symbol in the um, address for Gmail. So it's metpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can stop by... Paul's website, which is ipadmusiced.wordpress.com, or you can go to my website, which is techandmusiced.com. So, Paul, any yeah. last thoughts before we? Oh, sorry, go ahead, Paul. No, no, that was my last. Here's my last thought: is you know, I think Chris and I both started writing our blogs for the same reason. You know, if you would have told my middle school or high school English teacher that someday I'd be writing a blog, they weren't. They would laugh. But you know, we wanted to share what we were doing. We wanted to, I wanted to have a spot where I could write about what I was doing as much so that I could remember things in the future and just kind of organize my thoughts. And then other people started reading it and they gave me ideas. We just want to share, you know, we want to be nice and share. We want to talk to people. We get so caught up in our own little world as music educators. Um, you know, here's our school and we don't get outside of our school. You know, so let's share ideas, people. We'd love to talk to you. We want to hear what you want to um, hear from us. Um, if you have questions and stuff like that. Um, and like Chris said, please, app developers, if you want to be highlighted, let us know. 